Good afternoon, greetings in Jesus' name. Certainly good to be here. It's been good to be here. <clears throat> My own vineyard have I not kept. I'm not sure how to feel about this topic. I think I know Jerry and George pretty well. I, I don't think they would assign me a topic that they felt like I just really needed, but I really do. I really do feel like I need this topic. My own vineyard. <clears throat> I never preached from the book of Solomon before, Song of Songs. And I guess I never really studied the book very much. And I'm not sure I studied it enough. This time I, I don't feel like I have a sermon just very well laid out and dissected like maybe I, maybe I should. But I invite you to turn there. To the Song of Solomon, Song of Songs. <clears throat> Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verse 1. <clears throat> Tremendous beauty in the, in the types, in the, in the book of, of Solomon. Solomon is, is typified as Jesus. And I know maybe there's sometimes this, this argument that the, the, the book of Solomon is maybe about marriage. But you know, there's a lot of things that just don't fit that explanation of the book. There's a beauty here about Christ and the church that's just profound, and I don't know if I don't know if we we don't have the time, and that's not really my subject to to look at that. But I I would like to point out a few things here after we read. Verse one: The Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for thy love is better than wine. Because of the savor of thy good ointments, thy name is as the ointment poured forth. Therefore do the virgins love thee. Draw me. We will run after thee. The king hath brought me into his chambers. We will be glad and rejoice in thee. We will remember thy love more than wine. The upright love thee. I am black, but comely. O ye daughters of Jerusalem, as the tents of Keter, as the curtains of Solomon. Look not upon me because I am black, because the sun hath looked upon me. My mother's children were angry with me. They made me the keeper of the vineyards, but mine own vineyard have I not kept. <clears throat> In verse three there, it talks about the virgins. They're the undefiled. They're the ones that are focused. They have a singular focus toward Christ or toward Solomon. There's complete loyalty to the king.
During the little explanation that you got there with your programs, it talks about this vineyard and explains there a little bit what is my topic about, and that is our families. You know, I've been made keeper of the vineyards, and maybe in the King James that's not real clear here what it what it's saying, but you read it in some other translations and it becomes clear. There's my own vineyard, but they made me the keeper of the vineyards. And isn't that, isn't that our job description? <laughs> Is just that. We have a vineyard. I have a vineyard. That's, that's my family. That's my own personal life. My life with God. And then there's the, my family. And then I was made keeper of the vineyards at Pine Grove or wherever you find yourself. But mine own vineyard have I not kept. Now, my calling as a keeper of the vineyards was very real. I'm sure yours was also. I didn't want to be called. I thought I wasn't going to be called. I thought I was going to be able to escape such a thing. <laughs> and, I, and I hope I don't come across as too sarcastic here. But I don't know if you've ever been tempted to feel this way. I have. It, it talks about it here that they were angry with me and they made me keeper of the vineyards. I don't know if you ever felt that way, but I have. When, when I'm really low, you know, you wonder, well, was it for spite? <laughs> it's not that way all the time, of course, but there's that feeling. It, it can be there and it can be real. It talks about being black. I was, I'm black, but beautiful. That would be the interpretation there. And you think about the, the demands of being made a keeper of the vineyard. And there's certainly a dark side to it. There's that possibility of cynicism and sarcasm entering into our into our soul and being a liability for being a keeper of the vineyard that's very real i think it's very real for for all of us
And it's a question that, that I have grappled with, you have grappled with, I'm sure, as well. You know, there's the, there's the rebellious teenager that suddenly there's a situation and you need to have a meeting or a, a whole bunch of meetings with or whatever. And so you're gone. You're, you're tending this vineyard. Maybe you're working with the parents. You're trying to work through this situation and it takes time and it takes effort. Costs you a lot of sleep sometimes. And maybe it's a couple of meetings, maybe it's five meetings. And then you come, sorry. Then you come home at night. And you realize your own vineyard you haven't kept. the youth that falls into pornography and again there's a lot of time a lot of effort put into that and again you come home sometime and you realize my known vineyard have I not kept and then there's the yeah, I think every church has these, the, the marriage situations. And again, we, we sit down and we try to counsel and we try to help couples to see eye to eye and to work together. And again, the possibility of coming home and realizing my own vineyard have I not kept. <clears throat> And I hear this, this thought or this idea a lot of times that ministers sometimes lose their families because, um, you know, they're gone too much or whatever, away from, that's usually the accusation that, or the thought that we're gone too much. <clears throat> and I'm, I'm never quite 100% comfortable with that e explanation about it. You know, that's why their children left. That's why they had a rebellious teenager. Or that's why. Uh, I'm not sure it's fair to allocate blame in that way I think we ought to be careful with that 
The other thing about that idea or that concept is that me and mine are more important than God's. You understand that? It's, it's built into that concept. And so I'm going to say no to church work because my family is more important. And I've seen it, and I'm sure you've seen it too, where that's happened. And again, I don't want to allocate judgment. But they end up losing their family anyway, and you wonder, well, okay, they spent a lot of time. They, they said no to a lot of responsibility, but they still lost their family. What's the problem? Is, it, is that all it is? And I don't have just a lot of wonderful answers here today. I, I thought about if we had a if we had a board up here I would just draw a circle on but you can picture this if you draw a circle and and that's kind of that's kind of me that's kind of my life as it is as a single person I'd like to start out with that as a single person a youth maybe let's pick 20 22 23 I wasn't married until I was 22 but maybe maybe before marriage we have this circle and I can pretty much do what I want to do and I have pretty much all the time and then as we commit our lives to live together with Our wife, you know, our time is, our time becomes divided a little bit. And maybe we could say it's kind of divided in half. And then there's, there's my work. That's not quite accurate, though, because it's not, it's not divided in half. <clears throat> but then you know how it is. Children come along, and there's another dissecting line, and that takes time. And those, that time has to come out of somewhere because we still have the same amount of time. And responsibility increases as we go through life. That's, that's the way it goes till we reach a peak. And then it, it goes down after that, I understand. I'm looking forward to that, I think, sometimes. <clears throat> but I've heard about this thing of of bearing the burden in the heat of the day. That's kind of where I feel like I'm at now. Maybe, maybe it's still going up, I'm not sure. But, <clears throat> but our time is divided in, in you know, so children come, and, and as children grow, they take not necessarily less time, but more time. That's how I find it. And you know, at the same time that they take more time, I found out it takes more to feed the mouths. And so the work, the work segment still has to stay there. Or, or maybe increase a little bit into something. 
into, into that circle of time. And then we're ordained. And it just, how in the world are we supposed to reach around? Uh, have you ever felt like that or am I alone? And so as these responsibilities cut into our lives, the time's got to come from somewhere. I, I don't know if I can, I can do this, accomplish this, but I would like to portray a concept that I think is, is very important, and I, I think it's portrayed in the Word of God, but a concept that all of that time you know, the personal, the personal time, our time with God, our sleep, our eating, our family time, our church time, whatever we have, all needs to become entirely kingdom-focused. It needs to become kingdom work, whether it's family or whether it's church or whether it's work. It, it has to become entirely kingdom focused otherwise there's conflict of interest and we can never we can never get it all done <clears throat> I talked about this thing of being black but beautiful I like to just think about that just a little bit more in our attitude toward our calling and I know I've painted a pretty dark picture <clears throat> it is not enough for us just to try to be more optimistic or more positive about our calling but Our attitude, our attitude is everything in being a faithful keeper of the vineyard. Our attitude is transmitted to our children. Attitude is, attitude is everything. <clears throat> I, I know how it is. <clears throat> To read the gauge <laughs> as far as our attitude I, I'm not I'm not tooting my own horn here at all uh, like I said I feel very needy but I know how it is when you you tell the children at the supper table well I've got a meeting tonight and that's the barometer for how your attitude is sometimes at least it is in our home oh dad has a meeting and you know how it is. I, I'm not saying that's all, all bad. But let's be very careful about that attitude. And, and I would look over here 
You be very careful about the transmission of that attitude. It's not just a side thought in keeping our families in the church. <laughs> it is a direct link for success or failure, I think. <clears throat> if you can keep your finger at Song of Solomon, I want to come back here, but in Philippians 4, I was just blessed the other day as I read these verses, and of course I was thinking about this topic. You think about Paul's life and his attitude, and I know Paul didn't have a family necessarily to look after. Maybe that's why he was so passionate for the cause of Christ, and he seemed to always have enough time for people and all that. I, I'm not sure, but... But notice his attitude here, uh, Philippians 4 and verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Now, <clears throat> maybe that rejoice isn't quite, isn't quite there <laughs> in, the, in the English trans translation. But it means to delight yourself in the Lord. To make yourself exceeding happy in the Lord. And then he says it again, again I say rejoice. That's an attitude. He, he says about moderation in verse 5. And again, maybe that doesn't quite get the point across, but I, I would maybe say it a little bit like this. Let everybody see, let everybody perceive, let everybody recognize your unselfishness. That's pretty hard. That cuts into the personal life, into that pie that I want to keep for myself. Pretty, pretty significantly. And and I would just like to emphasize again, it says let all men see. Our family is the first ones that see if I'm rejoicing in the Lord or not. They're the first ones. They, they feel that. They know that. <clears throat> In maintaining our attitude and just just thinking about this personal thing somehow you need to maintain a, an above average vital connection with God is that all right to say that above average it has to be there. I don't know how you're going to do it. Figure it out. I mean, somehow, you're going to have to find time to delight yourself in the Lord. And we, uh, I know we 
ministry, the team there at Pine Grove, we, we talk to our people a fair amount about this. You have to have time, personal time. We emphasize that. You do too, I'm sure. But you know, and I know, as we work with people, almost every time when you ask them, how's your devotional life? You know, maybe there's a loss and victory, or maybe there's a failure, whatever. How's your devotional life? Not good. You know the connection. That's why we emphasize it. (laughs) And that's why I say... For us personally, somehow we have to find time and it has to be real and we have to be delighted in the Lord. We have to rejoice in the Lord. I'd like to talk a little bit more about this pie of church work. That is divided into our time. So when church work increases, where's the time going to come from? It's going to come from our personal time. And and included in our personal time is is keeping our own health and sanity and that's some of that involves sleeping some of the time. And so it's, it's going to come from that personal time or our family time or our work. Is, is that getting it all? I, I mean, I'm being really general. But a, as church work increases, as our, as our responsibilities increase, and I know they go up and down sometimes. It's, sometimes it's really heavy and there's lots of whatever to do and then sometimes it kind of levels off and it's not so much that way but I think we ought to take a look at where are we pulling the time from now Now, when we're called to the ministry, I think our families will feel it. They will feel it. There's going to be a sacrifice. And I don't think we should apologize for that. It's all right to sacrifice. And it's all right for our families to sacrifice. But that should not be the entire That should not be the entire pull from where our time comes. It should not be entirely from family life. That's inconsistent. And our families will see through that. Now, oftentimes, church work, that pie... We usually, we usually do it. I, I, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm including you and I shouldn't. I usually take on the church work and try to do that part because that's sort of seen. And people get a little, people get a little critical if I don't perform in that, in that segment. And so usually that 
more or less, gets accomplished somehow. And I, and I don't think that's, that's always necessarily the way it should be, but that's the way it often is. I don't know if you, if you relate to life the way I do, but I feel like sometimes that I'm willing to say yes to projects, to work, to whatever. I'm willing to say yes for X amount of time until all of a sudden I get to this breaking point. I say, I can't handle anything else. It's got to quit. Something's got to change. And so then I go, maybe this is exaggerating a little bit, but I go on a binge just to get rid of all stress. Just this has got to go, and this has got to go, and the trip has got to go. You know, we just cut things out. I don't know if you're that way, but that's sort of my tendency is to, okay, this is, this is it. <laughs> I'm going to say no. <clears throat> and again, I just, I just want us to think about, I want to think about, what do I cut out? Because I'm going to cut out something. It's either going to be family, it's going to be personal, or it's going to be church. And, and maybe that's what you're wondering. Well, what is the right one to cut out? <laughs> I'm not sure the answer on that. But there's one thing about work that I think we as Americans need to think about. The work of the church is about souls, and it's about eternal things a lot of times. And I think something to think about with, with all the whole thing is that whatever is not of eternal value is eternally useless. We, we have to consider that time and time again. God does want to stretch us. And and again, I'm not sure I'm not sure where to allocate everything that that we should we should be stretched in, but this whole thing of personal life and what's really mine needs to become God's. And I want to keep trying to incorporate that concept in this, in this little, little talk here. <clears throat> but there's things that enter into our lives that crowd out that thing of, of the whole of our lives being God's. And the thing I'm thinking about is, is, as it connects to work, you know, we need to work, and we need to provide for our families. And, and again, this is, I, I feel like this is something God has been speaking to, to me about. When is enough enough? What is providing for our families? And I'd like to talk a little bit about covetousness. You know, the Bible talks about, about covetousness. And, and I feel like 
that is one of the conflicts of interest. That if it's in this circle and we're trying to divide our time properly, we'll never do it with covetousness in there. It just won't happen. And I'm thinking about the love of money. And there's, you know, covetousness, of course, expands to a lot of things. But how much do we really need? There's some pretty stern warnings in the scripture about covetousness. And I think about what Menno Simons went through and, and his giving up of his time and his work for the kingdom. And I, I don't think we have a clue. We just don't, we don't connect with that like we should maybe. And again, I'm talking about Alan Schrock and his family. It conflicts with God's work and will we'll never be able to divide our time rightly with that with that in our lives. Our family will see. And and practically speaking, our family they know, they're going to know what gets cut out of our lives. They see through that. <clears throat> and again, I'm trying to, maybe in a sense, I'm trying to blur the line. All those lines inside of what we are and what we need to accomplish. And, and maybe you could just say it like this, we need to do all to the glory of God. Everything, the entire part, the church, the work, our work, what we do as a vocation, what we, yeah, our preaching, our, you know, the entire, the entire circle needs to be to the glory of God. I'd like you to go to Solomon again. <clears throat> Solomon 8. <clears throat> And verse 11, Solomon 8, verse 11. We talk about this vineyard again. Solomon had a vineyard at Baal Haman, and he led out the vineyard unto keepers. Every one for the fruit thereof was to bring a thousand pieces of silver. Now my vineyard, this is, this is the vineyard that is talked about in the first chapter. My vineyard which is mine. That's my family, my responsibility. My vineyard, which is mine, is before me. Thou, O Solomon, must have a thousand, and those that keep the fruit thereof two hundred. <clears throat> I was just blessed as I thought about this. This vineyard, the one that was not kept. And maybe that's how it is. We, it, it takes a while for the truths to get in, inside and into us. 
We struggle with this whole thing of finding enough time. And I'll be the first to admit, I struggle with finding enough time. But isn't it really, really simple? If we could get this concept that's here, it's so simple. Yes, it's my vineyard. It's my responsibility. And in many ways, it's my fault if the vineyard isn't kept. But there's a concept of worship here. Solomon shall have a thousand. I just think that's so beautiful. And if we could have that that concept of worship for the Lord Jesus and his church. It seems to me that all these things will work themselves out. Thou, O Solomon, must have a thousand, and those that keep the fruit thereof two hundred. 